You're listening to The Big Lift, the podcast of Web Trends Optimize, the CRO solution that enables marketers and developers to maximize the ROI on their digital properties. Web Trends Optimize is a powerful, feature-rich, and easy-to-use solution, all delivered within a fixed-price contract with no additional cost for increased functionality ever. During these podcasts, we meet some of the key influencers within the marketing and conversion world to understand their roles and examine their challenges. In today's podcast, I'm talking to David Mannheim, founder of User Conversion and course director for Advanced Conversion Rate Optimization at the Chartered Institute of Marketing. This week, User Conversion has released a white paper on which experimentation platform should you choose. So I thought I'd take the opportunity to discuss with David the challenges that he faced in pulling this document together and what insights he collected along the way. David, what are your clients looking for when choosing a vendor? Advice. <laughs> um, it's such a complicated process. And look, that's one of the reasons why we wrote the report in the first place. It's a process that we've we've iterated on a number of times. And the, I don't think there's one set way or one set thing that clients tend to look for. So there's no one set feature, there's no one set proposition uh, or even purpose. They, they just need help and advice. And I, I'm not surprised. It's, it's a position that I wouldn't like to be in if I was selecting a vendor because there's so many to choose from. I, I think there's there's a stat somewhere in, in the white paper to suggest there are 211 types of testing and optimization platforms. But, you know, when we're, when we're looking at the bulk of the market, you're talking between 20 and 30 core experimentation platforms. That's a lot to choose from. You know, it's analysis paralysis. Absolutely. And I, I can see the challenges that most people will be faced if they haven't got a report such as this, because they're just wading through um, Google lists of, you know, the top 10, top 20 or whatever is the best in 2020, whatever it might be. And it must be really, really confusing. So how do you think that this report is going to help those people other than just saying, well, here's an enorm- enormous breadth of um, solutions. Pick which one you think fits best. Well, I hope it gives people a process. I mean, usually, at least from experience, the way clients and retailers tend to select a platform is based on advice because, like I mentioned, it's overwhelming. They'll ask peers, they'll ask agencies such as ourselves, they'll you know, they'll look for experience. But because that experience is often quite limited, you know, this is this is an extensive market where even we don't have experience of all 30, 20 or 30 platforms to the Mm -hmm. extent where we're able to fully recommend, you know, one of the 20. But what I think clients are after is, is that advice that is based on their challenges. So there's no one thing is the answer, but really it should be based on, okay, you as a client, as a retailer, as as a business, what are your challenges? What are you trying to solve here? What does experimentation or indeed personalization mean for you and the business? Do you have challenges in marketing? Do you have challenges trying to communicate results across product teams? Okay, let us know those challenges. And now let the vendors or the platforms or indeed other parties help you solve the challenges, not through features, but through capabilities, through genuine value. So it's a long-winded way of basically saying, identify what your challenges are, give them to the vendor or the platform. I'm just hoping that this white paper gives people a process that gets to a solution that's right for them so they don't have to keep on changing every year or two years, which 
just seems to be the case. I realise that this white paper is is agnostic in that it's it's a platform for showing what's available and there's some advice wrapped around that. Mm. But what do you think that people who are entering into experimentation for the first time should look for? And do you have that kind of process that says, how mature are you as a um, an experimentation company that actually guides people down the way? Is there a kind of a five-step process or a 10-step process or whatever? Yeah, like, it's a really good question. So if you're just starting off an experimentation, it's a little bit like if you're just starting off to drive. You know, you don't go out and buy a Ferrari. I don't care how rich you are. You're stupid if you go out and buy a Ferrari. Yep. And I'm sure the more enterprise type solutions that I've mentioned in the white paper won't mind me saying this, but those types of solutions probably aren't right when you're looking to walk before you can run. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would advise trying to assess what your maturity is at the moment. There are a number of tools out there that do it. There are types of questions that you can ask yourself to identify your level of maturity. Those would include things like dev resource, number of experiments ran per per year, per month, velocity, uh, culture, um, mm-hmm. how decisions are made at your business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if the answer is we have a low experimentation or optimization or personalization maturity, the advice is, well, start small. Go for a vendor or a platform that mm-hmm. might offer, say, monthly subscriptions or that might offer, you know, is a, is a little bit on the lower side of the, the investment perspective you know it's it's a lower cost basically because that will enable you to say okay we can we can tweak as we go here and we need more resources over here and you practice what you preach you know you learn and you iterate as you go and do you think there's an evolution in that process so and I, i mean by that that companies will say oh this has got all the bells all the whistles this is something i could probably use but then perhaps only use a fraction of it oh it happens all the time and i actually I think there's almost like a, a phase two to this experimentation platform white paper. And that is asking, it is something I wanted to do actually. Um, and that is asking those who purchase these platforms, why they move from one platform to another. So I suspect it happens a lot and just a pure assumption. I suspect one of the reasons why it happens is because that individual or a cohort of individuals cannot understand or realize the full value and potential of the platform. And it comes down to training, experience, willingness, uh, permission, uh, a whole host of things. So yeah, I, I definitely think there's a there's an evolution, you know, from either one platform to the next, or um, or indeed just trying to understand not just the capabilities of the platform, but also your challenges as a business, because they're going to evolve, right? You know, it's a whole different challenge doing 10 experiments a month to 100 a month. You're talking talking a lot of scale, a lot of resource, and a lot of different practices that are involved in doing that. And it is likely that the platform that you have that gives you the ability to do 10 experiments a month might not give you the ability to do 100 a month. So you need to evolve as your, your, sorry, your platform should evolve as your challenges evolve. And is there, I'm assuming by that, there's also the reverse that people go on and think, oh, I can do all this. And then actually say, well, I'm only using a, a part of this. So I don't need to spend all that amount of money. I can look for something which is less expensive. Yeah, totally. In these times, especially. Um, 
I promise to myself I wouldn't use the term unprecedented times, but I'm going to. <laughs> Um, okay. These unprecedented times, you know, yeah. when you're looking at cost control, I think it's at the end of the day, it just comes down to one thing is how much value are you getting out of the platform? And therefore, where does the problem lie? Is it with you and your understanding or is it with the platform's genuine capabilities? Because we tend to, and I think this is what the message I'm trying to communicate with this white paper is we tend to value things based on features, not based on the value of which the platform can give us the capability to do X, Y, and Z. Let me, let me give you an example. So a platform might turn around and say, we have a great WYSIWYG editor. You know, what you see is what you get editor. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can change uh, elements on the page to your heart's content. Some are better than others. You know, some, are, some are more capable than others. Absolutely fine, but they all do the same. It's a, it's a generic feature that I would say the majority of platforms offer. Yeah. But your challenge as a business might actually be one where your marketing teams want full control of various different elements on a page, and they have they lack dev resource, and therefore they need a very easy to use WYSIWYG editor that enables them to track and target different elements at a with a good UI with different permissions across different teams. You know, so I don't know, Sarah and trading can do it as opposed to Mark and marketing. And I think that is that's the that's the challenge that then the vendor can come back to you and say, okay, well our WYSIWYG editor can do X, Y, and Z. We have these clients that are doing X, Y, and Z with it. It gives you these different capabilities. Instead, what tends to happen, because it's a very demo feature orientated market, is platforms will just say, we have a WYSIWYG editor, it can do X, Y, and Z. But when you tailor it and contextualize it to the client's challenge, or if the client can actually explain their challenge, it gives the vendor or the platform the ability to you know, sell based on the value rather than, you know, it can do this, it has the capability to do this. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I, th- I think it does make sense. And I think it's definitely part of the the purchasing decision or moving from one vendor to another. But I think also wrapped up in that is the, what's the ROI that I'm going to get from this? How am I going to be able to convince my boss that I've spent X and I'm getting X times five mm-hmm. in return from that? And I think over the last four or five years, there's been much more focus on the value that it's delivering in monetary terms rather than, you know, am I using all the features that's there? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, look, you, you're talking more about efficiency, I suppose. And efficiency is never really that sexy, is it? <laughs> People care about what is the money that we're going to bring. And do you, do you know what was what was really interesting in this process? So for, for those who don't know, the, the white, I know it's a long white paper. I'm really sorry. It's just the the logic and the comprehensiveness of the way we work um it needs to be methodical so we put out a survey it was a, a survey that was uh, reviewed a couple of times it didn't change per platform all platforms answered that survey we interpreted those results into a one page like a one pager okay we sent that back for approval and on some occasions it was approved first time on others there was a lot of back and forth and um, right. what we were trying to do 
by through that interpretation was to uh, try and remove all kind of um sorry to swear but it's true all kind of marketing terms all kind of bs sales techniques you know the usual mm-hmm. stuff and there was a really common one and the common one was our experimentation platform will give you the our immediate roi okay it won't it gives you the capability to potentially give you immediate roi not to sit on the fence with anything but i kind of refuse to allow anybody to say it will give you immediate roi it's not a statement that you can guarantee yeah so when we're talking about roi i think people need to understand this is hard when you are trying to convince a a stakeholder what roi is what is it that you're actually trying to achieve and it all comes back to the same thing that we mentioned at the beginning of this what is the problem that you are trying to solve by hiring or using this experimentation platform and that will differ as you evolve it might be efficiency it might be wider capabilities within a WYSIWYG editor for the marketing team. But it all comes back to the same question. What are you trying to solve? That'll help you understand your ROI. ROI is usually sitting at the marketing director level because he's ultimately responsible for utilizing his budget in the best way possible. Do you see that it's the marketing directors that are making this decision or is it higher or lower in the food chain? Or the finance director, because um, they will often get have sign-off uh, capability. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I do think it differs. It depends on the size and the scale of the business, obviously. Some mm-hmm. don't even have a marketing director. Some have a VP of marketing or other unusual acronyms. Um, it, it really does depend on the size of the business. I must admit, I don't think I'm experienced enough to say this, being candid with you. But from experience, I tend to find that a stakeholder, a very senior stakeholder, will often be the one to make a decision. I state, we need this tool. He will then or she will then delegate to a committee or someone below them to organize that decision. And then then it will get signed off. So I, I find that that relationship quite interesting. It's a top down, we need this, go away and get the best one. So decisions made at the top, but the process of the decision is made mid or at the bottom. And then there's, there's the reverse that sometimes happens as well, whereas decisions made mid, mid-bottom and they put in a business case to the top. So I, I think both, both are quite interesting. And any biz dev people out there will, will state, you know, who kind of they need to understand the challenges of, the core decision maker. Um, they could be multiple decision makers. It probably doesn't answer your question, but the answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you probably answered it, is that there are multiple decision makers and each of those decision makers have their own criteria in which to measure success and what value looks like. And I think that it's depending on whether you're going to be a user, whether you're going to be somebody who has to train the person, whether you feel that you have an affiliation to a a brand that you've used in the past. Um, There's lots and lots of decisions which are influencing the actual purchase of this. But I think you're probably right. The person that signs it off is ultimately the FD who's looking for that return on investment in some way. Um, But the marketing director will say, actually, we need this to be competitive in our space. So I think this document that you've produced is definitely going to be helpful to try and 
see the wood for the trees because there are a lot of vendors out there. They are saying similar messages, I think. But from the first um, conversation we had just now, it's all about the value that they're going to get out of the platform and how they're going to use it, which I think is is pretty key. Exactly, dude. This is exactly the message I'm trying to get across. Um, put it put it this way: at user conversion, you know, we offer services like UX research, uh, UX design, A/B testing, development and strategy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We we never present that to a client. You know, we'll, we'll try to, uh, or prospect, try to understand their challenges first or their problems. A problem might be prioritizing their backlog. And then we will play back that problem and explain how our capabilities can solve uh, that problem and how we've done that in the past for other people. I feel that that's exactly the mindset that clients need to get into when they're selecting a platform and platforms need to get into when they're selling to a client and don't get me wrong i'm sure as you go deeper into the the selling process that does happen i just feel that you know we're in a very demo based world um, a demo of a platform barely scratches the surface of a platform's capabilities but it doesn't even start to scratch the surface of the value that it adds to the client and their specific contextual challenges it's really weird I don't know whose side of the fence I'm trying to sit on here, <laughs> whether it's I'm trying to fly, flag the, uh, fly the flag for the clients and the people trying to select these platforms, or I'm trying to fly the flag for the platforms themselves. I feel like I'm flip-flopping between the two. I think one of the things that exacerbates the whole problem is that we've moved generally, this is a huge generalisation, away from dialogue with vendors until the point which we have selected three or four. Mm. And though that process of selecting those three and four seem to be, as you said earlier, based upon features and functions. Would you say that's that's a, a good assumption? Yeah. Or dare I say, and I'll get scolded for this, just preference. Um, it could be a preference based on brand. Um, it could be a preference based on individual. So like the business development person that platform could be super friendly unlikable yep. it could be preference based on previous advice and just that process of even whistle it down it starts to become really subjective uh and not objective um i've just seen that happen a few times where um i can't name names obviously but where <laughs> an individual in a company is really flying the flag for Platform A, yep. really, platform B has come up trumps and, you know, all different types of attributes uh, or w whatever it might be. But still, they're flying the flag for platform A. I don't think there's anything sordid about it. I don't think there's any backhanded referrals going on or anything like that. I just think it's a complicated process. And I guess all we're trying to do with this white paper is trying to make it as objective as possible by giving a process. Hopefully that process, albeit long, will help <laughs> in the long in the long long run. Would you say that demos now that are being done should be tailor made to the requirements of the client? Because we do see a lot of online demos which are being um, shown about how easy it is to use, and you can click here and do that. But the nitty gritty of the matter is. 
being able to understand who your target audience is at that particular moment, not generically. So I think until the time is right, there definitely seems to be a reticence to get involved with the vendor. Would you agree? I, I think so. It is personal preference. It's a speed thing as well. Like how much time do you have to make the selection? And though any, biz, any good business development manager, uh, he or she will know that you need to understand the challenge of the client as much as possible. Um, so I'm really hoping that a lot of BDMs will read that white paper and be like, yeah, you know what? That's like, it totally makes sense. But I'm also hoping that a lot of clients or retailers or prospects will read that white paper. And instead of just trying to base their decision, I'm not suggesting all of them do. I really sound like I'm sitting on a fence. Don't <laughs> um, must be a but, big fence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of just saying that if they, if they read it, I'm hoping that they'll start to think, we need to be a bit more objective about our process because goddamn demos are boring. But all a person could do in a demo is try to like show the the features of the platform, and they'll all say the same. We have an amazing statistical statistical significance modeling process. We have a fabulous UI. We have you know all all these crummy adjectives that get thrown before an actual feature. Um, they're a little bit useless. Largely, they're all the same. The point is how the BDM or the platform is positioned in a way to add the most value to the, the business in, in question. So I'm sure they'll get to a stage where it'll be a really contextual conversation. I'm just trying to encourage that stage to happen a little bit sooner, or I'm trying to encourage pl- um, retailers or businesses out there to give those challenges to the platforms. I think platforms will be able to you know, vendors like yourselves, for example, you'll be able to sell much more efficiently the sooner you have those challenges. You can really tailor your pitch and your, your the value that you can add to a business as soon as you have those challenges. And, and I think that, just to extend that a little bit more, I think the RFP process or the RFI process is just an exacerbation of feature functionality. Um, they may... divulge a little bit more with regard to what they're trying to get out of the platform but it's essentially a beauty pageant that we're all trying to compete in a space oh yes i've ticked this box i've ticked that box i've explained why we tick this box better than anybody else but it's still not what i would describe as an engaging conversation and i think that as a whole section of business we've lost that personal engagement with people to ask questions to deep dive into something without feeling that they are trying to be sold to. Because I think that what we are trying to sell and what people are trying to buy is not a one-size-fits-all. No, not at all. But I, but I know that RFP process is fairly broken. Uh, it should be called an RFF, you know, a request for features. Yes. Um, but the propose, that's why when you create a proposal or an RFP, and that there is a template within the white paper to try and encourage people to do this. It should be based around the challenges of the business. You know, we as a business have these challenges, X, Y, Z. Here they are. Here, here, here they, you know, here's a story behind them almost. Here they are prioritized. And when you're asking certain questions within that RFP process, the question should be based, how are you gonna how are you gonna solve these challenges for us? You know? How are you going to help us get the most value out of the tool in order to solve these challenges? 
that's when you get real benefit from an RFP. And look, some of the problems with RFPs or RFIs are, are potentially even worse. But it's when legal start to get involved, yes. you know, they, they overly formalise it. Apart from the the obvious, there's been a lot more vendors in the this space, this experimentation space. Have you seen any advances in technology which you think are beneficial? And are there any, without naming names, that you think are just actually some um, some tinsel on the top? No. Well, definitely, yeah. Because um, you get buzzwords. You know, personalization is a nice little buzzword. Although, I, I mean... Gartner stated that by 2025 or something, 85% of all businesses will have abandoned personalization. And I started a presentation off once of 2011 was the year of personalization. Then it was 2012 and it was 2013. It was 2014 and so on and so forth. And the reason behind that is is mostly because personalization is more of a concept than than a thing. Um, But that aside, I think that... It's interesting where vendors and platforms are going from what I can see, knowing the market. I think a lot of them are going very much more enterprise, yeah. for one. You can see that with VWO. They changed their model a few years ago. Optimizely, we're quite infamous. Mm-hmm. Infamously did this. Uh, I think it was in like 2017 or 2018. Yep. You know, They left 70,000-odd websites, I think it was, without a platform Yeah, uh, because they they moved more into an enterprise model. Yeah. And it was very it was very interesting how all platforms, they never wanted to state that they were for an entry, um, like an entry into the market. They always said that they were their audience were mid-market or enterprise, every single one of them. And whenever I tried to change that for some of the platforms that I knew were perhaps more entry, they, uh, they wouldn't let me. Let's say. Perhaps that's the shareholders behind them. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that was a political thing. But I found that interesting. I also think that in terms of technologies, more and more vendors and platforms are moving towards an optimization mindset, believe it or not, than an experimentation mindset. By that, I mean adding tools that can help with the experimentation process, session recordings, heat maps, um, kind of programs that allow you to measure and manage your experimentation program that type of stuff so technologies in and around just pure a b mm-hmm. testing and i would probably say as a third piece of technology where they're becoming more of a cdp you know kind of a customer data mm-hmm. platform and if you look at some of the acquisitions over the past five years it, I, I think it's really telling so look you know way back when Adobe bought, was it Neolane? That became Target. And then they, they introduced, you know, Adobe Experience Manager. Oracle, a bit later, copied that. They bought Maximizer and they put Maximizer into the the, so the OMC, isn't it? The Oracle Marketing Cloud. More recently, you can see the Kibo, Kibo, I can never pronounce them. Uh, Kibo Commerce, they bought Monetate and uh, they added that that experimentation capability to their wider platform and functionality, which I thought was a very good move, by the way. Um, and probably even sooner than that, you can see Attract, uh, who are, you know, they bought Fred Hopper uh, and more recently Early Birds, who are more of an algorithmic experimentation mm-hmm. platform. And I find people moving and purchasing these types of platforms 
very interesting and becoming more and more of essentially a, a CDP rather than a, a pure A-B testing or pure personalization player. I think that's just the desire to, you know, the more data that you hold or that you process, the more that you can do with that, you know, the better the segmentation, the better the, the reporting and the cutting of that data, uh, the more and easier you can export it into, into you know, wider analytical tools. Um, so yeah, I find that, I think that's where the market is, is heading more and more. I think that's where the technology is starting to become a little bit more, I don't know, advanced or required. And would you say that's aimed much more towards the enterprise market? Well, if you asked all, if you asked all the platforms, they're all enterprise, according <laughs> to them. But yes and no. I, I think it's it's aimed at the market in general because as we become as retailers, as businesses, as we become more and more sophisticated, we're going and we, as we evolve, we're going to need that type of capability um you know the ability to either hold all our data in one place or the, the ability to like say cut and slice data into different segments because it's not enough just to optimize a generic experience you do should be optimizing specific experiences that's what personalization is at the end of the day so the what platforms are doing by buying other platforms and so on and so forth and creating this these clouds or these cdps is that they're essentially attempting to help that ability of personalization without saying it's personalization to some extent it's interesting it's fascinating i think we'll see a lot more of it as well and do you think that AI will be uh, an adjunct to that. So some of that functionality, so for instance, running marketing campaigns based upon data attributes, as opposed to having the marketing team come up with 25 different variants of a marketing campaign. Do you think that's going to be part of this CDP? I think, I think it kind of has to be just from a scale perspective, but still at the, at the end of the day, A, it's early doors, despite what people say. Um, and B, Right now, anyways, it's just for a specific type of client, and those are the more advanced clients. I say advanced. How can I describe that better? Uh, enterprise, uh, very mature, uh, heavily scaled. So, you know, I don't really don't want to say Amazon. I'll say it. The Amazons of the world, for example. I think that's where it starts to come into its own, where that level of traffic requires a sense of automation. And maybe I'm biased. I don't personally believe AI will ever supersede the need for for a human brain, at least in the initial stages anyways. Do you see any loyalty with regard to experimentation platforms? Or do you see it that it's a churn business, that they've been doing A, B and C and it's kind of worked for a year or two and then the economies of the platform don't get used more and therefore they're not adding extra value into it. And then they go, well, actually we could do better with a different vendor. Do you see any, any of that? Yeah, all the time. And a really good question as well. I don't think it's specific to experimentation platforms though. Let's make that clear. I think there are platforms out there who I've had conversations with, who's like one of the primary business challenges is renewal. Cause whilst they can demonstrate a level of return on investment, it becomes either stale or stagnant or uh, less and less known because there's no control anymore, right? There's no like comparable. 
or a stakeholder has moved and therefore their subjective experience is better with other platform a b or c yep. i actually think that happens quite a significant amount of time uh i think it's a big challenge for platforms and that's why a lot of platforms tend to offer services as well so you know they're not just effectively plug and play that they can help direct and orchestrate strategy uh, and that level of continued relationship allows a sense of trust a better relationship i suppose if you to ask platforms out there what is your biggest issue i think they'll say similar things you know change of management or stakeholders uh kind of always come up to renewal period i find that fascinating uh <laughs> You purchase a SaaS product for one year, two years in advance, and then you're locked in. And then the last three months of the of the renewal period, and everybody panics. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a reason. So at user conversion, for example, we used to do that, but to kind of either walk the walk or to uh, demonstrate a level of trust with our clients, we actually do monthly rolling contracts, or rather rolling contracts, not necessarily monthly. Um, where you know if you weren't getting the value that you, you thought you were doing or you wanted to out of the relationship, you could you could exit at any point. There'll be a notice period, of course, mm-hmm. but you know locking somebody into a year or two year contract that makes the decision ever so much more difficult because the risk is higher, the investment is higher. Yeah, because they're having to retrain potentially people while they might have a broad aspect of what experimentation is, the tool and how it works maybe slightly different maybe much more challenging for some people to get to grips with there may be individuals inside the business who were loyal to the existing solution and then you know always find a reason why the other one isn't as good yeah um, so there's, there's a whole myriad of different things that, that go on inside of that and i think that one of the challenges of, of any vendor is to be able to make sure that there is ongoing consistent value it's not just you've shown up at the beauty pageant, you've won their ad- admiration, and then for the first few months you've done really well, and then after that you just fade into the uh, to oblivion. I think it's a real challenge to keep delivering that value to, to clients because their values change, and it's all about conversation and support. And, and I, I think that us, like others, do, do a good job of being able to retain our clients based upon the fact that we're trying to deliver their challenges as they move. It's, yeah, it's an, it's an evolution. And you'll notice that in the white paper, we talk about, you know, what are your challenges now? What do you foresee them to be in two years or five years? And you know for well, those two and five-year challenges will change just as the goalposts change in these unprecedented times. <laughs> now you've for said example. it again now. <laughs> it must be unprecedented if you've sent it, said it twice. <laughs> I probably say it on a daily basis, if I'm honest. Were there any key findings that you found in this white paper? Was there anything that, that came out and thought, Blimey, I, I, I didn't realize that. I found it interesting slash frustrating at some of the platforms attempt to market themselves in a way that either wasn't very uh, like honest or representative of my experience personally, um, or it's written by a typical marketer, that type of thing. So the example being, you know, we're mid-market, we're, we're an enterprise or... Um, something along those lines or we de- deliver immediate roi yeah, for me it, it just doesn't sit well um so just just for clarification any kind of those instances we we admitted from the white paper um 
sometimes there were arguments <laughs> other, other, other times we just sneakily got around the, the language yeah. so as a, as a finding in how platforms present themselves for me that was interesting the key finding uh, i would say is just the process of selecting a platform you know for for all the clients and businesses out there i just urge you again i'll, I'll say it again to just reiterate what is the problem or the challenge that you are trying to solve as a business. Prioritize that, write those down, collectively write those down, collectively prioritize those, and then always revisit them. You revisit them every three, six, 12 months. As you, as you change and evolve, so too will your challenges, and then so too will your needs. And now mm -hmm. is the platform that you are selecting or have selected, are they meeting those challenges? If not, review it. That doesn't mean change platform. That means review it. It means make sure you're getting the value that you can or you should out of the platform that you need to, to address those challenges with. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say those are the two key findings, buddy. Well, David, it's been a very interesting um, conversation, as I, I knew it was going to be at the very start. Um, thank you very much for your time that you've extended to me today. And... Um, Maybe in 12 months or 18 months time, you do the 2021 or 2022 version of this. And it'd be interesting to see how things have changed in that time. But for now, David, thank you very much. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it.